But the other side, in my view, is that everyone knows banks are corrupt. I like so for me, it's it, uh, like. I'm way more worried about a bank that's not secure than a bank that's doing some shady deals with some drug dealers in, in Mexico or whatever. Welcome back to Investing 404, the podcast by amateur investors for amateur investors. I'm Gav and I have Chris here with me. We've been investing for over a year and we'd like to give an insight on how we analyze companies for investment. Yeah, today we'll talk about HSBC and we'll do a full analysis. So if you're not interested in HSBC, this is maybe not the right episode. If you're looking for the news, Tamburger and the learning, listen to the last one. Right, Goff, HSBC, maybe the least fun research we've done so far, right? <laughs> it's funny because, you know, um, growing up, I used to get really annoyed with everyone just saying, oh, banks are so boring. Banking, bank, everything, banks, so boring. <laughs> and then we do the, we do the research and it's so it's actually quite dull to do <laughs> in terms in terms of like different areas of investing it's not that exciting and not that front end when it comes to like future developments and so on right so. yeah but to to be fair we'll we'll give you some criminality today we'll give you some drug money and we'll talk about hong kong so hey sounds like a pretty exciting episode no <laughs> yeah and don't forget uh billions and trillions of dollars flowing through so uh <laughs> if you ever like if you want money well you know banks have a lot of them so stay tuned <laughs> what rubber bank for the rest of this <laughs> <laughs> all right so hsbc uh it is a british multinational bank uh it's got about seven and a half thousand offices around 80 countries and territories and um it's got about eighty-five thousand people so it's a huge employer uh, of wow. people yeah, I mean, even just in the headquarters near where I live in Canary Wharf, um, I think the building itself has around 8,000 staff, which is over like 40 floors. Like if you could think about how incredible like that scale of one building in the middle of the city is. I mean, they must be so. making a lot of money, right? So not as much as you would expect, I guess, Chris. Um, I mean, I think the quarterly tax, uh, post-tax profits in Q3 around $2 billion, um, which... I mean, I just mentioned some incredible numbers just now, but it's only around two billion of profit uh, for the last quarter. And then I think it's quite important to realize that I guess most of the money comes outside EMEA, right? I think it's around almost 50% of their revenue globally comes from Asia. Uh, and that's roughly around 55 billion or so comes from Asia. And that's from 2019. So I think it's important to realize as big as a bank it is, it's one of the biggest banks in the world. Uh, it gets most of its money through Asia. So even if it's headquarters in London and so on, uh, the Asian APAC market and the trends in the APAC market will dictate a lot of HSBC's decision-making and product offerings. And that's that's the, their strategic outlook as well, right? So they're going to potentially close the retail banking in the US and move even more operations to Asia to see that growth and to see the financial industry there growing up. Yeah, and with that, Chris, uh, I think it's important just to realize how do banks really make money? I mean, uh, I've seen a lot of people get confused by this uh, in the past. I, I think it's worth just covering quickly how banks really make money. So essentially, it's very, very simple. You put uh, your money in a bank as a deposit and the bank gives you some, you know, thanks money. You know, so they give you some return on that investment. And then what they do is they take that money that you give them and lend it out to other people for way more percent. So essentially, it's free money. They're using your money to make money off someone else, 
right? That's how banks make money. It's pretty easy. Interest is paid to the people who are depositing. Interest is earned from people who are borrowing. And whatever is left over is a net profit. So the easiest way for banks to make more money is to either have load, load more customers on their portfolio or to have a, a bigger spread between their deposit rate, the interest they offer on return, to the interest they're getting from the uh, from the borrowers, and uh, that that's a key sentence right there. Those two rates historically used to be quite different, but since all the central banks around the world have lowered their um, um, target rates to nearly zero, that's why banks are struggling so much because they cannot just increase their mortgage to five percent because the rest of the market is at one. So that's that's a very nice explanation. Plus plus all the other revenue they're getting from you know investment banking and private banking, Radkov that we probably don't want to get into right now. I know we're not going into it, Chris, like you said, but it's important to realize that they, they wouldn't be a big player in that field, right? I mean, they've got some really big investment banking firms and so on that do that sort of space, cover that space a lot better. So HSBC work way better in the retail banking space, which is what they're also focusing on. So that's where we're sticking with our analysis. All right, with that, let's go into um, some of the recent news and why HSBC has been in the news quite a lot compared to the other banks. They've had a lot of trouble with the law um, for illegally handling money from drug lords, criminals, uh, blood diamond traders. Um, HSBC willingly accepted deposits and then used uh, their own bank to launder that money to then give fresh money back to the criminals, essentially, in, in the form of just a current account. And I think they've been fined in 2012, uh, almost two billion. Two billion. Can you imagine that? That's bigger than most companies. Um, they've been fined, <laughs> um, and that's that's probably with that one of the negatives. I think is the fact that HSBC now has a bit of a name against them for illegitimate business and not being very trustworthy, which is terrible for a bank. Everything you want to be is trustworthy, safe. And legitimate. Yeah, uh, on that same point, though, I've got a slightly different view, though, Chris. Um, I agree with this. It tarnishes their reputation a little bit, especially with doing illegal trades. But the other side, in my view, is that everyone knows banks are corrupt. I like, so for <laughs> me, it's it, uh, like, I'm way more worried about a bank that's not secure than a bank that's doing some shady deals with some drug dealers in in Mexico or whatever, right? So, so for me, like the the reputation of it being a big bank means that the money I put in is going to be secure. Like the bank's not going to just fold up and close next week and I lose all my deposits. So, I think that points valid. I I think for me personally, I don't agree with that same sentiment. I'm the same as you. Out of most British banks, I think HSBC has a special place in my mind. Number one for the brand, number two, because that was the first bank I've actually banked with. So I, I quite like the bank as such, but I don't bank with them anymore. So I think uh, that brings us to the second point that we should be discussing, which is switching costs and like switching and the, the idea of switching to its competitors, right? I, I think that's a huge area of potential weakness for HSBC is there's been an explosion in competitors, whether that's peer-to-peer -peer payment apps, uh, it could include uh, small fintechs that are exploding, some digital-only banks. Let's take the UK, just just the UK, right? You've got from Monzo's to Starlings. In Europe, you've got Revolut, you've got uh, N26. I mean, you've got so many of these like smaller company fintechs that are taking up a huge part of this market share. And they've got a key element that 
that HSBC and these big legacy banks struggle to adapt with, uh, which is the flexibility of offerings and not just the flexibility of offerings, that time to onboard customers, the uh, customer experience timeframe. All of these elements are areas that big banks like HSBC find it extremely expensive to get right. Yeah, and I think this is the headline negative point about these legacy banks, right? Fintechs are just cleaning up the market. Um, I, I hardly know anyone in our generation that isn't with, you know, Monzo, Revolut or any of these new banks and using that as their main bank account. So they're losing that young generation, our age group completely. Um, I, I, I don't know any of our friends that would willingly go up to an HSBC and switch to them unless there was a huge offer for money to, to switch over, you know, those £100 switching offers. <laughs> and then the, the, the other thing is that terrible experience you get with legacy banks. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of generalizing here, but you have to call up, please, please press 2 if you, if you want to get to this service or 3 if you want to get to this service, all this uh, I can't say the word right now, otherwise we'll get explicit warning. But it's just bad, right? <laughs> just bad experience all around. And I have Starling right there. I can just quickly chat to someone. Oh, by the way, I just want to switch my address. Boom, it's done. Within like five minutes, probably, the, the whole situation is resolved. Um, and then even worse, and this is great in the UK, as you say, the switching is so easy in the UK. And it isn't like that in probably every any other country I know where you can just switch and everything's transferred within seven days and the banks are obliged to follow that. I absolutely love that. For, for sure, Chris. And the other part is, I mean, HSBC find obviously all of these elements are super expensive. So what they've tried to do is push the digital banking frame extremely hard, right? I mean, Chris mentioned changing address. So from anywhere from changing address to deposit, uh, to, to transferring money, to make payments, everything can be done online or on my phone. It's clunky because that's not how the bank was formed, right? So the, the system doesn't work very well. There's so many potential errors I've had personally in the past uh, where it, it's just very slow to resolve whenever you hit an issue so i think for the most part things will work right i don't think people will have that much problem i don't know paying someone on their online account but whenever there is that problem whenever there is that friction it's extremely hard to get resolved compared to the the alternatives so as soon as you hit that wall you're so open to moving up to moving to another area right then one, once that happens then their size is a huge it negative for them for imprinting a brand into my head, right? I think, oh yeah, they're the sixth largest bank in the world. And, uh, they're managing $2.7 trillion of access, but they can't let me make this small change. What's that about, right? And, 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 suddenly, and suddenly when that situation occurs, the size actually hurts them rather than helps them. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to throw in a, a small uh, light at the end of the tunnel, or let's put it this way, a light right now and the tunnel is looking dark. <laughs> but, um, but fintechs currently don't have any credit cards and mortgages apart from Atom Bank, but they don't have much of the market. So the only way for legacy banks right now to really hang on is to have great credit cards and great mortgage rates. And I know HSBC is nailing the mortgage rates. Whenever you compare, you see HSBC is usually um, one of the top ones. So there's some time left for them to try and get into that fintech space. But I think they've they've lost it. I think that, that train's gone once uh, once. Places like Monzo and Starling offer real mortgages and credit cards. On that, though, Chris, I think 
that's another point where maybe I disagree with you in, a, in the sense that I think deposits and mortgages may be the two areas where HSBC does have a good chance, right? Um, where, where people like me, let's say, I may potentially carry on with uh, a HSBC mortgage, even if it's slightly more expensive than a random bank. Because if I'm taking a 30-year essentially a loan based on my house, I might do it on HSBC rather than doing on a random like a Starling bank just to save £100 a month or whatever. And and you see that also with the other big banks, right? Whether that's Lloyd's, Barclays. Again, I'm I, I'm so fam I'm so much more familiar with the the UK market here, uh, and you just see that those big lenders they do well because essentially their stature really pays off with these huge mortgages, uh, and they make very good returns on that on that. Yeah, I wanted to get into um, um, some of the stats and some of the ratios. So. Um, HSBC had some terrible years from 2012 to 16, um, making uh, less and less money every year. But they've somewhat turned around and recently have increased their revenue again over the past three years. Um, and with that, if you do believe that the company is uh, worth investing, the, the ratios are not looking too bad. So the price to book ratio that's measuring all the assets that they have and what price you're paying is about 0 0.4. So in essence, the assets are already already worth more than the current price that you're paying for the company, which is quite a, kind of interesting. And the PE ratio, and yeah, if if you're not sure what the PE ratio is, listen to the last episode. But the PE ratio is about 13, which describes it as almost fairly valued. Saying that if you look at the stock chart, it's still 30% down from the before the Corona crash. It's definitely a value play this is by no means a growth company so you're looking to get dividends out of the company and they're not paying dividends right now however saying that with the current price if they were to pay dividends again um, the percentage that you're paying for those dividends um, is probably going to look around you know three to five percent so that's that's one of the highest around for the banks but that's just speculation because we're not quite sure um, what price they're going to go in or when they're going to start paying dividends again so if if you believe that buying things when they are low, banks could definitely be an opportunity, but a very, very risky one. And I just wanted to quickly visualize that just because things are low, that doesn't mean that it's a good price. So if a company that used to be 20 pounds is now one pound, that doesn't mean it can't go lower. If for one pound you buy a thousand pounds worth of shares and it goes to 50p, you've lost half of the money you've just put into that company. So <laughs> it doesn't mean that the price is low. That means it's low risk. Um, it's probably even higher risk than going with a company that's been growing a lot. Uh, that, that's, I think, a very important point, uh, uh, Chris. I think we're gonna, we should do a segment on that in a couple of weeks where we just look at risk and how we diversify risk. Uh, because like you said, it, this is a mistake that I think we see some of our friends also make where a stock drops to, say, $1 or $2. But at $1 or $2, when it goes from uh, $2 to $4, that's like a double. So uh, it's incredible. But also if it drops from $2 to $1, you just lost half your investment. So yeah. it's a very important aspect that, that I think people don't uh, uh, grasp. In terms of uh, the stock uh, itself and the share price, so the share price, I think, dropped to, I think, 25 to 30-year lows in terms of the drop, which is pretty significant, uh, seeing that most of that demand 
you would expect to come back, right? Which is why I think we've seen a resurgence from around September to now, and the share price has really kicked back up. Uh, but even at its current rate, right? Even at its current share price at 387, that's the same as the bank was, let's say, in 1996. Then again in like 2009. And then again in... Um, around 2014 or something. So so essentially what we're saying is you're never going to see this stock just boom out and like crush in a couple weeks. That's not why you would get into it. It's not, like Chris said, not a massive growth stock. And this is going to go through the ups and downs of the economy because it's a financial investment. But you probably should think about whether this would fit into your portfolio because especially now it would increase um based on its current position in the market and the dividend point of the Chris made is super critical, right? Because this isn't a growth stock. You want to get these financial companies that would potentially give you a dividend. So there was an announcement earlier in the year that HSBC would look at 2021 as dividends, but nothing's really set in stone, right? They could decide not to. I think we mentioned this in one of our previous episodes, Chris, but when we're looking at investing, when you look at growth stocks, for stocks that could just boom and rise, right? And then the other companies, you want to get this dividend because that's a big payback on investing on this company that's not going to change in a share price too heavily. So this is where I think it's really important to see if that dividend's coming, check its competitors out, look at like their scope and what you think that scope is, right? Chris walked into some of the um, competitors here and you spoke about the, the PE ratio, Chris, of being... What was it, 13, 14? Yeah. And at 13, 14, that, that's, that's a little bit more than the Lloyds and the Barclays, but it's less than, say, JP Morgan or the Bank of America. So, again, uh, just know as an investor, you have so much flexibility on where you put your money, right? Just um, So it really comes down to your tendency and your, in your thought process and where HSBC evolves. If you thought Gov had just closed this episode, no, we still got some points to go through. <laughs> so, um, yeah, sorry, I got I got too passionate. There. I got too passionate. Absolutely love it. Um, right, next one. You know, something that is always really positive about a company is if you see some inside buys happening. And as far as I've researched, the CFO and and that's not inside buy, but some bigger hedge funds have just gone in on HSBC in Asia. So that's probably good news. Um, especially the CFO that should know the financial situation of the company really well. <laughs> and then as my last, probably closing positive comments, and then we'll completely trash this company. Um, they were interested in creating a global bank account, kind of like what Revolut does. So you have one bank account and you keep transferring into different currencies. So that's definitely a positive if they do get that in. But we have seen with these legacy banks, any new product usually takes ages to implement and then they implement it badly. So I wouldn't put all my money on that small bet on the side. Um, and then, Gov, you have to say, you know, the global reach and how well known the brand is definitely still works for HSBC. You know, rich people or, or newly rich people, especially in Asia, they would go to HSBC and say, "Just can you just take my money and make something out of it? Or can I bank with you? Uh, that, that's definitely... So that strategic avenue of going and focusing on Asia is definitely the right thing to do for HSBC. That, that, that was my last kind of positive comment. And then, Goff, my last negative and closing comment on HSBC is the fact that Hong Kong 
is 32% of their revenue. Hong Kong, right? One of the key political ba battlegrounds right now in the world is 32% of their revenue. Put it in perspective, right? When this much of your, of your company's revenue is in Hong Kong, there's one or two things that's going to happen here. I think one, they'll have to start adhering to Chinese rules a lot more and then with that alienate a bit of the rest of the world, um, especially the US and other European markets. Then, um, and we won't go into all of this right now, but uh, there, there's two key things that are happening in Hong Kong right now under the hood. So number one is there's a massive real estate bubble that's about to pop because everything was built on rising prices. Um, you know, developers building new houses, families taking out mortgages. No one even worried about prices potentially falling. Um, and then the second one was that the Hong Kong dollar is fixed to the US dollar. And the Hong Kong National Bank is starting to run out of dollars to defend that rate. If they have to increase interest rate to keep at that rate, then we'll see real issues. But we're not the experts on this. You should have a look at some articles on this and we might uh, link that in the episode notes because Hong Kong is probably one of the most uncertain places right now to have most of your revenue, especially with the talent and businesses that are leaving the country. We've seen the protests and with the mentioned housing bubble that could happen. Just that point alone would make me stay away from HSBC as far as away as I am right now from China. <laughs> so uh, yeah, keep, keep, keep that in mind. Just bear in mind, Chris says stay away from China, but he's got probably a, a couple of K invested in Alibaba. <laughs> so take what you will with a pinch of salt. <laughs> Touche, sir. Touche. Uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I think also, I think those points you just made were super critical. I think going into my research for this episode, I didn't realize that that much of their revenue came from uh, Hong Kong. And I mean, I was expecting some, but just from the name itself, right? Just from the <laughs> name of HSBC, I was expecting I was expecting a, 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 a bunch, but not 30% of its revenue. So it's incredible. And that actually was it's been higher forever, right? I mean, that's the whole of the UK as an example, right? Uh, would be around, it's a, it's a bit less than 30%. So it's a huge element that's part of that's heavily weighted towards high risk so it's it's a very fair point there chris yeah Goff. so with that let's let's do a quick summary i think we've been at hsbc way too long now anyway with everything that we said and with your research would you consider going into hsbc at all or maybe even let's generalize it if not hsbc would you go into bank stocks in general i think that's a tricky one chris um so I think HSBC on its own, I wouldn't mind if it, uh, but a really short time horizon. I wouldn't want to be in it for too long because I, just because I think there might be some more bounce from. I know it's it's grown a little bit in the last couple of weeks, uh, but there could be a little bit more with that momentum. Um, but I don't know about a long term. I don't think I would have HSBC in a long term investment. In terms of the industry as a whole, I, uh, I probably will have more financial stocks coming in because I think at the start of the episode, you mentioned how low the valuation on some of these financial companies are right now. Uh, you compare that to you know some of the tech stocks that we've been talking about last few episodes. There's a huge gap right between the two. So I think I probably will be investing in a couple financial stocks. Um, maybe not 
uh, HSBC, but I, I probably need to think about it a bit more. What about you, Chris? Yeah, from from my summary there, my last negative point of Hong Kong, I think uh, <laughs> it's obvious I would never invest in HSBC. Saying that, I agree with your point, and, and we'll cover that in a later episode. We'll do a 2021 and future outlook. But I think there will be a rotation back to these uh, value stocks that pay you dividend and um, go to a bit more of a safe haven over the next few years. And I do think the banking stocks are undervalued. I even looked at it back in June, but I didn't quite want to invest back then. Saying that, if you know the, these bank stocks are so tough to analyze, if you're not quite sure and you don't want to invest in one player, then just grab an ETF. Um, you could grab uh, iShares, um, f- financials or banking, or just an ETF on the Eurostock 600 banks. With that ETF, you don't have the risk of one bank having troubles in Hong Kong or you know other issues that are happening to another bank. You kind of have the biggest banks and you just have that in one ETF and you have exposure to the industry without the risk. Yeah, so... I think that's enough for today, isn't it, Goff? Uh, I think we're getting tired now as well on on banking stocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think I think next week we'll go into entertainment, Chris. Um, let's look at Sony, uh, huge company, obviously, and I think it'd be really interesting to look at some of the different avenues of revenue. Uh, and again, we'll also have an episode on the the ten baggers and the news. So. Please stay tuned. We've now got an Instagram page, so follow at uh, uh, Investing Four Hundred Four, uh, and also Facebook page, same name. Yeah, and if if your podcast platform allows a rating or even a comment, um, uh, please do put a comment down and give us a rating because that that will help us um, get more listeners and people be aware of this podcast. Look forward to your comments, thoughts, and any ideas you may have for future episodes. and you're not risking one bank that goes in in hong kong or you're not risking other problems for another bank i can't say that i can't say that i can't say that